Hi, this is JP Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Uh, well, congratulations, you've made it to another week in 2020. Uh, if you're listening to us contemporaneously, or near contemporaneously. Um, so, there's a lot in the news, uh, so I guess we'll get right to it. Uh, first of all, I would not... Uh, want to present this next one uh, because it's dated news and I kind of want to keep the content like free of dated material so that it has a shelf life uh, that lasts belong you know longer than a week or so uh, past when this podcast is first published but uh, you'll see why uh, in a minute so this is from a quote from Fox News. Robert Trump, younger brother of President Trump, died Saturday night, the White House confirmed in a statement from the president. He was 71. Uh, the reason I bring this up, uh, well, of course, condolences to uh, President Trump and his family. Uh, it is indeed tough to lose a family member, uh, especially a sibling. Um, so again, our thoughts and prayers uh, go to the Trump family. Um, unfortunately, um, and this is the point I want to make, is that almost, you know, you almost have to expect something like this happen happening uh, nowadays in our current political climate but uh, someone uh, decided that they're going to put out the hashtag uh, hashtag wrong Trump which of course implies that uh, the wrong Trump brother died uh, Saturday, Live, Saturday night and uh, that's really unfortunate um, it doesn't speak very well for the kind of person or their ideology uh, who who said this, and I think um, we know, I'm not going to uh, say the person's name who, who posted this tweet. But if you want to research it, you know, you just research the hashtag wrong Trump and find out for yourself. But uh, my point is that supposing that all of the names were taken out and the party affiliations were taken out from this news story and a lot of others like it. And all you knew were the facts. In this case, the brother of a very important elected leader in the United States died. And, you know, if that was all you knew, and you didn't know who the leader was or who the party was, um, I think the natural instinct would would be you know to give condolences or to have concern for the family um, but of course unfortunately in this time uh, we have people who very mean-spiritedly uh, put out this uh, hashtag wrong Trump um, thing and so if, but if you knew what 
if you saw that hashtag but didn't know who died, you just knew some leader died, what would you think of that person, not only that person, but their party that they represent and the ideology that they represent? What would you think of that person? I think that even uh, Democrats would say that was something that's beyond the pale, that's something that you should not be saying. Um, but, of course, in this day and age, when it comes to uh, President Trump, anything is fair game. Uh, you know, they can go after Baron Trump, um, the president's youngest son, and, you know, there, there are certain things that should be off-limits. And, of course, the children should be off-limits, too, uh, at least until they're of the age of majority when they can speak for themselves. But when they're, when they're still minors, they can't really speak out, speak out for themselves. And so, really, it's just kind of a bully tactic. But the same mentality that goes into, I guess, bullying or making fun of Baron Trump goes into this this stupid hashtag that this person put out. And I just want to point that out. And this, of course, is not the only time I think that there's been, I think, several times we can think of where uh, one side in particular, uh, the left side, has made comments that were not really uh, appropriate to the time. And the the other thing was that um, also, uh, according to uh, Fox News reporting, but uh, this is actually coming from uh, Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, His Twitter feed says, This headline of an obituary, quote-unquote, no less is sick. WAPO, Washington Post, should be ashamed of itself. Robert Trump, R.I.P. And it shows the Washington Post headline uh, under obituaries. Robert Trump, younger brother of President Trump, who filed lawsuit against Nice, dies at 71. Okay. Now, why would you put that? I mean, again, if you didn't know the person or the politics of the person who died. Why would you, you know, you would never even think of putting that there. But again, uh, the mean-spirited left uh, has done this. And of course, Washington Post is uh, a frequent purveyor of this uh, incivility. Um, And it goes on to say in the article, points out in the article, uh, post from uh, Benny Johnson on his Twitter feed. Uh, it says the, the Washington Post couldn't put politics aside for one night. They treated the leader of ISIS better than the brother of the President of the United States. So if you can remember a couple uh, months back, a lot of was made about the Washington Post uh uh, obituary um, when uh, Trump ordered the strike on uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, uh, leader of ISIS at the time. Uh, he was killed 
and uh, of course they were far more generous of for the ISIS leader than they were for the the, the Trump's brother, and of course uh, Benny Johnson uh, puts the two obituaries side by side. Of course, the the first one is Washington Post Robert Trump, younger brother of President Trump, who filed a lawsuit against Nice dies at 71, and of course the part against where he files the lawsuit against Nice, that's uh, Mary Trump for uh, her her new book that's coming out. That's like the, the tell-all book that, of course, is highly critical of the president. But I don't know why, again, that would figure into someone's obituary. I mean, that, that's not how you would sum up someone's life. Um, Robert Trump was... Uh, another, you know, real estate mogul like his brother. Uh, he was very heavy into the, the Trump Trump Corp Corporation, Trump Company, and uh, of course he supported uh, his brother Donald in his bid for the White House and was uh, quite happy with the with what the job that uh, his brother Donald was doing. Uh, but con contrast that with the Washington Post obituary from a couple months ago. It reads, Abul Bakar al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State, dies at 48. I mean, never mind that <laughs> how many people uh, were murdered by him or at his command. Uh, they're trying to make him look like some sympathetic figure. Um... So it's, I mean, it doesn't even need to be said really about uh, hypocrisy or double standard that a lot of the left, left mainstream media has and the way that they, they're, they're so happy to go over after the president and his family. But just the general incivility. Um, again, think about if you didn't know the party or politics of people and you just you know, woke up after, you know, after a 10-year coma and read some of the stuff and didn't know uh, really much about Trump or the politics, and you just read the facts, I think you conclude that one side was a really nasty side, uh, really, I mean, very, you know, morally bankrupt side, and I think it'd be obvious what, what side that was. It would be the left in most every case. So I just wanted to go over that um, piece of news. Uh, again, rest in peace, Robert Trump. Um, if nothing else, it just serves the, for the rest of us who are not directly affected like the president's family is. It serves as a bitter reminder of just how split apart this country is. Another news, um, you know, of course, that uh, Senator Kamala, don't call me Camilla Harris, has been chosen by Joe Biden as her, as his running mate. Uh, well, it's almost a Freudian slip, yeah. I think uh, he is really her running mate, but he just doesn't know it yet. Um, convention, conventional wisdom says that... Um, Really, if you're voting for the Democrats, 
you're you have to really be voting for Camilla Harris to one day be president. I mean, that's just the reality. I think even uh, Vice President or Vice President Biden um, would acknowledge that um, that it's likely that he'll be replaced. Uh, which is unfortunate. It's like, why are you, um, you know, why are you making, you know, why would a voter make a commitment? Um, obviously it's, their, their only calculation is it's someone not Trump. Um, which is unfortunate. I mean, you could do that maybe in any other time. But, uh, when you look at the choice we have this year, it's really a choice, not really in between Democrat and Republican. It's the choice between America and um, some hollow, hollowed out uh, socialist communist shell of America. Um, because that's what, you know, that's, I think, the Democrats see themselves as an end game of their plan that they've had for decades of turning uh, some sort of socialist utopia which of course never never works um, but it's such a a choice and on top of that uh, Kamala Harris does not appear to be really that popular even in her own Democrat party uh, she had to drop out of the race, I believe it was before even the first primary ballots were cast. She dropped out. Uh, she brings really not much to the table because uh, Vice President Biden uh, brings Biden uh, received more of the black vote, more of the Amer African American or black vote than did Harris. So. They really don't gain much there, uh, I guess. Well, he backed himself into a corner, politically speaking, by um, making uh, his announcement that he would be picking a female vice president uh, running mate. Now, it's fine to have a, a female vice president running mate. Um, you know, they, there there have been. Uh, for both parties before, um, that's not the problem, but when you announce that mate is going to be a female rather than the best person available, then that really detracts from the value of being picked. I mean, realistically, uh, one could say that, you know, if you're committing to a, a female, then really that female only has to compete with other females for the position and doesn't have to compete with any other qualified male applicants. And I think that really tends to really cheapen uh, the achievement of uh, Senator Harris in being picked as a VP. I mean, how much more uh, would it be worth to have have had Joe Biden say, I'm picking the best person, the best Democrat person in the country qualified to be vice president. 
and then you pick uh, Kamala Harris, then that actually means something. That because that you know means that not only was she uh, in competition against her fellow women, but she's also she was in competition against men also. And and of course she she might well have been the the pick regardless, but I think. Uh, you know, playing this identity politics game, he's really missed a chance to really move the ball on that subject. And so again, that ties back into the idea of, you know, is it the best person uh, being picked or just the best woman being picked? I mean... You know, I mean, I think I'd rather, if I was being picked for a running mate, I think I would, I would rather be able to say, you know, I beat up everybody, every other qualified applicant in the country, and not just uh, roughly 50% of them. So, again, that's identity politics, and that's, I think that's an angle that they really uh, failed to recognize. Um but that's why I think conservatism uh, doesn't doesn't engage in identity politics. You know, we we try and make things fair for everybody. Uh, all men are created equal under the eyes of God, and of course that uh, includes men and women. You know, they're all created equal. If you believe that everybody's created equal, and then you, you don't have to worry about announcing your running mate being of a particular sex or a particular race or a particular ethnic background. I think the only qualification that you need is to be a natural-born American citizen and uh, 35 years old or older and... There you go. I think it might be helpful to be of the same party as the top of the ticket, but basically that's all your all your choices. So, and it is diminished uh, when you say ahead of time that you're going to eliminate uh, half of the theoretical competition. So what does it mean for the Democrat ticket in general? Well, to me it says that they really lack in any direction or message. Their message, their only message seems to be, you know, it's not Trump. And they're counting on people's hatred of Trump to get them across the finish line and not their love for anything else. Because if you look at what the Democrats are doing and seem to be before... Now, nowadays, um, therefore, or at least they have tacit approval of riots and demonstrations and looting. Uh, they don't seem to have much time to condemn these activities. Um, I think that that only re- lends credence to what I said before is that this is their. They're, them getting into their end game of achieving just total domination and uh, and 
converting America over to a socialist system. And that, of course, would happen, especially if the Democrats were to take over the Senate or basically take both parties of Congress. So again, if you need another uh, reason to vote in November's election, then you know just remember that Congress uh, is important too. You know you need that failsafe, you need that backup. That you know if if Biden Harris were to win, you know you don't want them to make America full socialist, full, full communist. You know, you want to have that checks and balances available to keep that agenda going through and to keep them somewhat honest. Obviously, it'd be great to have both houses, the the House and the Senate, but uh, as long as we can keep one or the other, um, I think we have a good chance of keeping the Senate, but... You know, we can't do it if you don't vote. So if you support the conservative agenda, um, really, if you just support America as it has been, as it was meant to be, uh, as, as it was envisioned some 204 years ago, then really, uh, even if you're a Democrat, if you're, and I've been telling people this, even if you're one of those, you know, uh, JFK, Bill Clinton, Democrats, maybe you're, you know, you know, for labor unions, uh, and that sort of thing, and you like big governments and lots of social welfare pro programs, you know, this, this is not a choice between, unfortunately, those two. This is a choice between, you know, Abandoning all of that, um, the good and the bad, for America and going a totally different direction. Uh, one, that is a proven failure. Uh, you know, communism, social, socialism has failed uh, time and again across, across the, the globe and wherever it's been tried. Very few countries... Uh, experiment with socialism and don't get locked into some authoritarian system. Uh, yeah, the Scandinavian countries of Sweden, uh, Norway, Finland, that once experimented with uh, socialism, they tried that back in the 70s, 80s, and they rejected it. But that's one of the very few examples of a country uh, dabbling in socialism and it, being able to pull itself back from the brink. Um, most of the time you end up with uh, a situation like you have in Venezuela. But really, any other socialist country, you know, uh, North Korea, China, the old Soviet Union, uh, Eastern Europe, Hungary, they, they all chose to go the communist socialist route and you know look what that got them you know they had to to flee those systems in those countries uh, some of them are still stuck with them uh, you see how China is actually turning from a communist country to a 
a really a de facto fascist country, if you think about it. Uh, fascism is, I would explain it as sort of capitalism, controlled, heavily controlled capitalism um, combined with statism and everything is done for the good of the nation. And of course, uh, with China, you know, they're doing everything for, for the sake of China. So when it comes to like the Uyghurs being sent to concentration camps or another ethnic minority and religious minorities, uh, every day you hear, it seems like uh, more religious persecution in that country because uh, China has, uh, taking a turn more for the, the hard left and of course fascism of course is simply a, a form of national socialism and so they're moving from international socialism to national socialism where basically China is number one and the idea is to um, dominate other countries and not really, you know, try and, and work with a, a global frame framework. You know, the idea is really for them, you know, it's, it's a China first policy. It's kind of like almost a perverse version of make America great again. It's make China great again for the Chinese. And so it has been uh, suggested. Uh, and I think, it is a true statement that really, like I said, China has become a de facto fascist com country. Uh, if you look at how countries like actual fascist countries like Italy and and Spain and back in the 20th century operated, it they're very similar. There's some semblance of capitalism, but not really. Uh, it's heavily controlled by the state. Uh, the fascism as practiced uh, in Italy by Mussolini was sort of it was almost like capitalism but if on the board of directors of every company every corporation uh, sits a member party and he gets the final vote of what direction that that company goes in so that yeah the company can make a profit uh have some sort of you know growth and income for for themselves and their employee but in the fascist system it's all for the good of the nation before it's for the good of the individuals or for the shareholders and owners of the company and that's really what uh, China is now. They've turned, uh, they're really a virtual fascist. And we'll see, we'll see if uh, other people have picked up on that little subtle change. And again, uh, if you think that they've gone fascist, well, of course fascist is still a creature of the left, so they still are on the left, whether they're fascist or communist, as they they like to call themselves. But 
Nonetheless, it's still an authoritarian regime. And now, uh, there are people who want to make America more like China and North Korea. And I think what they're going to get is more like Venezuela. But it's going to be a lot less like America, the old America that we know and love and respect. Um, The one that was born on 4th of July, 1776. That America is going to be gone for good, uh, probably in short order, if uh, the Democrats can achieve enough political power in this next election. So... Again, it's almost like, you know, if you're a Democrat, you know, if you're like a a labor union Democrat or big government Democrat or, or something of that nature, but you're still a capitalist at heart, uh, you still enjoy at least a modicum of personal liberty and freedom, and you still love your country, you think America is still an exceptional country, an exceptional nation then, you know, you almost don't have a choice because you're being presented, I think, with a false choice when it comes to what uh, the Democrats will bring, particularly if they if they can achieve total political power with, with uh, Congress and the White House going to them. Because, of course, they will... Uh, they will... Enact the filibuster, so that will take away the the rights of the minority in the Senate, and then they'll they'll go on to pack the courts. They will uh, try to make D.C. a state, even though that's unconstitutional. Uh, same for Puerto Rico. They say it's for freedom and representation. Well, what what it really is is that each state gets two senators, and they want to have a permanent majority in the Senate, and that's what they're really after. So, it's very important, you know, not just to vote for the top of the ticket, but make sure that if you're a conservative, if you have conservative values, or even if you're a conservative blue dog Democrat, uh, if you're part of that vanishing breed, then you really need to consider voting for Trump. I mean, you may not like it, you may not want to do it, but realistically, I don't know what your alternative is. But I think we'll go uh, into that more, more and more as the election season goes on. Uh, But it is important to note and take that seriously because the election really begins in a couple of weeks, you know, for those states that have early balloting and mail-in balloting, that that disaster waiting to happen. Uh, I think we're going to do an entire show on the things that could happen on election night that are likely or somewhat somewhat likely to happen. And, of course, there's going to be some sort of fraud. There's going to be a- accusations of fraud no matter who wins. We're not going to find out who wins that night. Uh, I think it's going to be like uh, the 2000 election with Florida and the hanging chads and all that. Again, 
only on steroids. But we'll, we'll sometime in the future, not too distant in the future, I think, we'll do an entire podcast on just those things. And I've kind of, kind of working on that in the background, but it's not quite ready yet. So moving right along, I want to talk about, because uh, I go through the stats uh, pr- pretty much every day because, you know, I have nothing better to do. I, I'm a geek and I don't really have a life, so I check the stats to make sure that I'm picking up listeners and, pe- you know, see what people are listening to on the podcast, which episodes they're listening to, and if there's some that pick up uh, more audience members than others. And what I found is that the most popular podcast or the most popular episode of this podcast so far has been the one I did back on July 12th. It's called, uh, it's called, uh, it's okay to love America. And I'm kind of surprised at that, but if I think about it, I guess it makes some sense in that I think people are really hungry for just any excuse to be proud of their country at this point. Uh, any excuse to hold on to the idea of of America being a an exceptional nation, that we're not just another country. And of course, it's not as, it's not as, as the... Uh, Democrats and left would have us being just another country like something in Western Europe. But we are an uh, exceptional nation. And so I was going to kind of go for the part of the the segment that has to do with more like the ideological principles of conservatism. I was going to kind of go negative but then I thought about it, I was like, I think people really, like I said, are, are hungry for ideas um, that that show that America is a great country. And so I found this piece, you know, looking for something a little bit more positive. Uh, and I did this one uh, in July 3rd, uh, 2017, so... Three years ago, uh, on for Independence Day, I put this out. Um, trying to get back to the basics. Uh, you've heard me talk about before, if, if you've listened to other episodes of the podcast, about the fundamental values of American uh, conservatism being those in our founding documents, those of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the idea that all men are created equal under the eyes of God, those are our conservative principles. Uh, um, Lest you be confused by the other side that wants to say racism is a conservative principle or white nationalism or nationalism are conservative principles. They're not. Don't, Don't let them tell you what you are for, what conservatives are. Um, Be your own judge of that and use your own uh, knowledge and wisdom and common sense to determine what 
the true conservative values are. And of course, conservative values in this country may not be the same as those in, say, China, where you know a conservative value may look very different and may have nothing at all to do with freedom or liberty. But in this country, it does. And so the concepts are uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I, I wrote this piece, like I said, a few years ago uh, for the 4th of July. It's called Thoughts on Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And I'm going to read to you from now. It's uh, pretty short, so shouldn't be too bad. Um, the first one, of course, is life. Life is the basic right of every human being. All good laws should contribute to its protection and edification. What life should be protected? All of it, as much as it can be. Civilized humans avoid needless violence and killing. Killing animals, food, and other resources is the way of life. Killing purely for sport or out of cruelty is the way of death. The unborn, well, if it's a life, then yes. The old and the sick, death is also part of life, but again, it should not be brought about wantonly or casually. People talk about dying with dignity, especially as a rationale for euthanasia. I think that the idea of living with... I, I prefer the, the idea of living with dignity. How is it beneath anybody's dignity to fight unto, until their last breath? Being in a pitiful physical state does not equal being pitiful in a spiritual state. On the contrary, it's often the opposite. Liberty. Liberty is the chance to use our gift of life to its fullest advantage. Without basic liberties, Mankind is held back from reaching its fullest potential. That is why liberty curtailing forms of government like communism and socialism are immoral, or at best amoral. Liberty comes with freedom to fail and to learn from our mistakes. Liberty, the founders knew, is a fragile thing easily destroyed. We must protect our liberties jealously because once lost they are very difficult to regain. And as a side note, I would point to our current situations uh, under COVID-19 restrictions. How hard has it been to regain just the ability to maybe uh, get your hair cut again or open up your business? So, so yeah, um, I think we can all attest to that fact that once liberties are lost, they are very indeed hard to regain. Okay, getting back to the story. Of all the laws that have ever been passed, how many have increased liberty? Very few compared to numbers that limit it. Our American government has done well extending liberty to classes of people that once lacked it. That is government at its best. The problem is that government rarely expands the freedom freedoms of its citizens at large. Upon gaining the rights of the majority, those same formerly oppressed groups find themselves 
at the lifetime high water mark of their freedom, only to have other liberties gradually taken away and suppressed by mounds of regulation. It's like a castaway that washes up on the beach of an island to safety, only to find that the beach is eroding into the sea. Our freedoms are like those grains of sands being eroded one by one until someone decides to fight it. The Pursuit of Happiness The U.S. Constitution doesn't guarantee happiness, only the pursuit of it. You have to catch up with it yourself, Benjamin Franklin. The Declaration of Independence only suggests that humans have the right to pursue happiness, but the achievement of it can only be done by ourselves. The biggest snake is, mistake is to confuse happiness with pleasure. Drugs can produce pleasure, but never happiness. Pleasure is fleeting. True happiness can be maintained over much longer periods of time. The other mistake we humans make is to think that happiness will just happen. Sometimes it does, but most of the time it must be earned. Members of the armed forces often forego the happiness of home and family for long periods of time, so that they and others can have it to a fuller degree when they return. The miracle of happiness is that giving it produces more of it. And those were my thoughts, and still would be today, on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And these, I would say, are form the basis of all American conservatism. So if it doesn't uh, fit into one of these three things, then it's probably not conservative. It's not a conservative value uh, it's something bid on to conservative conservatives by a leftist elite uh, in ac academia or in government. I said a lot of times it has to do with trying to define conservatism in a negative light. Um, I don't know, you know, who believes or who sees life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in a negative light. But, again, that's what the left tries to portray. You know, they, they try to, to, to create a definition of conservatism that fits their needs, not ours, not what the actual truth is. And so when they say that conservatives or Republicans are, are racist or white nationalist or white supremacist or anything of that sort uh, and you know that it conflicts with one of these three basic tenets of conservatism then you know that they're just you know they're telling lies they're just blowing smoke and you know you might take that opportunity to remind them that what we're conserving is the American ideals, not the America as it was back in the 1700s, but the American ideals of the signers of the Declaration of Independence and the framers of the Constitution. That's what we're trying to achieve uh, 
conservatives believe that we're on the way to achieving those goals. They may be unachievable. Um, obviously, you cannot guarantee anybody life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness, but you can certainly facilitate those things. And anything that helps to further those values, I think, can call, be called conservatism. Um, when you contrast that with the left and leftism, you know, you talk about life, well, they're, they're not really valuing life. They would say they do. Uh, they certainly value their own life. Um, but when it comes to the lives of the unborn, those are subordinated to the wants of the people. And again, when it comes to things like euthanasia, you know, they, they're not really on board with uh, conservatism as far as euthanasia. They believe that, you know, they have, they want to uh, assign their own dignity to, I guess, uh, death, an, an un, unnatural death. Uh, and like I say in this article, I think that um, it's not beneath anybody's dignity to fight into their very last breath. I think that's actually a sign of nobility. Um, now, of course, it's something that always, you know, we have to wrestle with, particularly at the time when we experienced loss. Um, but that's, that's something that's a clear contrast. You know, when, you know, they, you know, we were already, we're one of the, the very first basic concept, um, and the, the progressives or the left have already deviated from the ideals of America. And again, there's liberty, um, Again, anybody who's been alive through these last six months know that liberty can be fleeting and that there are always people uh, in search of excuses to steal your liberty and uh, take their liberty in the name of building some sort of collectivist or socialist utopia, one that can never, has never existed and can never exist. But, you know, your liberty is really of no concern to them. Now, they will say that, you know, like the idea of going through a severe lockdown, like what you see in America, and also uh, I've heard in Melbourne, Australia, they have like a really severe lockdown that would, uh, I think, make uh, Governor Whitmer green with envy in that country. You know, they, they have a curfew, you can't go out, uh, you can only, you know, you can only work if you're essential, and they're telling you who's essential. It sounds like a very restrictive list. And then you can only, like, you can only exercise for an hour a week in Melbourne, Australia, under their COVID-19 rules. Um, I don't know what that has to do with it. Uh, one of their other rules which I think is inspired by uh, Governor Whitmer is, you know, you can't exercise 
more than I think it was five kilometers outside of the city limits. Um, so if you want to go backpacking and out into the outback and explore with the spiders and the snakes and the crocodiles or whatever they have in that part of Australia, uh, if you want to do that, if you want to go camping and be literally miles from anybody, uh, you're not allowed to do that because, you know, because COVID, obviously the rationale is that, you know, you might have to use gas. And if you use gas to get where you're going out in the outback of Australia, well, you might have to put uh, petrol, as they call it over there, in your in your tank. And of course, you know, that one extra time putting petrol in your tank, well, you know, of course, that increases your 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 chances of getting COVID-19. And I don't know if any cases at all worldwide have ever been traced to people uh, getting COVID virus off of a gas pump, but apparently uh, Governor Whitmer uh, in Michigan believes that, and apparently the, uh, the mayor of Melbourne, Australia, and... I believe, I don't know what their equivalent of governor is, but of Victoria, Australia. Uh, apparently they are uh, soulmates of Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So, I guess, I don't know, she has, a, she has some influence maybe overseas. Who knows, maybe she should have been the VP pick. And on the pursuit of happiness, well, of course, with... The uh, left it tends to be uh, more the pursuit of pleasure against the legalizing of drugs, uh, the attempt to normalize uh, even the use of heroin and other intravenous drugs. Uh, it's always the left that are for these uh, drug exchange, drug needle exchanges, and things like that. Things that uh, communities like in uh, South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, have uh, fought against uh, so far successfully. Uh, the left is for those things, uh, for their pursuit of pleasure. And of, of course, you know that gets into a whole realm of things like uh, the LGBT community. Um, you know, it's it's what they consider. Uh, I would I would say more pleasure than happiness. Not that you know, a member of the LGBT community can't pursue happiness like anybody else, just in their own way. But they do. Uh, the left does seem to be very concerned with the pursuit of pleasure, um, even in extremes. Uh, really for hedonism, for lack of a better word. But, uh, again, there's, there can always, there can be a blurry line, I suppose, between the pursuit of pleasure, for pleasure's sake, like in hedonism, and pursuit of happiness. I would say if, you know, your, your happiness is more of a long-term pursuit, and like I say in the article, the pursuit of pleasure with, which everybody, um, engages in to some extent but you can't make that your sole pursuit your life will become out of balance if you're 
concentrating more on the pursuit of pleasure than the pursuit of happiness. Um, I can pretty much guarantee you that you'll have problems in life. Uh, happiness is the one thing that, you know, when like I said, you know, the miracle of happiness is that giving it produces more of it. And I think most people would find that to be true. Um, sometimes in surprising ways, you know, you give to the poor. You know, who hasn't given to the poor or to some charity and felt good about it? You know, particularly, you know, if it was some, some charity that really meant something to you. Uh, maybe it's for helping uh, people with HIV AIDS or helping people, um, maybe battered women staying safe or help people find alternatives to abortion. You know, if you give to a charity or give your time and effort to that charity, you know, you, you tend to feel better about yourself. And so, of course, that's nothing that um, this uh, guy from Israel 2,000 years ago didn't try and tell us, right? That it's uh, those things that the voluntary giving of charity that makes us feel good. Which is another... Uh, perversion, you know, you have uh, uh, Democrats and people on the left trying to argue that Jesus was a socialist, and they point to, uh, you know, his saying that, you know, us, you know, telling us to, to give to others what, what, of our spare uh, riches and to help others in general whenever we can, uh, sometimes even if it's at the expense of our ourselves, because he knew that that was uh, almost paradoxically a way of producing happiness within our own lives, because we feel proud about ourselves when we do something, particularly if it involves some degree of even a small sacrifice. I think we tend to experience happiness, and we can spread that happiness, and that's really the point. I mean, it's uh, the left focuses too much on the redistribution of wealth, as if that, in and of itself, produces happiness. Uh, no, wealth can produce the conditions for happiness uh, if it's used wisely, but not it cannot ever produce happiness in of itself. It's all on how you use it. You know, there are a lot of uh, miserable millionaires and billionaires in the world, and there are a lot of happy people, uh, even in the poorest countries, somehow manage to live a happy life. And so where I'm going to leave you with that, uh, something to think about, something a little bit positive, um, that, and also instructional, about uh, what conservative truly, conservatism truly is. You know, don't let them tell you, don't let them define for you what conservatism is. You know, you know if you're for or the founding of the American experiment, if you're, if you're for that ideal that was held by the founders 240-odd years ago, then I think you're on the right track. That's what it means to be a conservative has nothing to do with race, 
has nothing to do with the redistribution of wealth, has almost nothing to do with uh, equality, you know, except for uh, quality of opportunity, not quality of outcome. And it has everything to do with life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So I'm going to leave you with that. And again, as always, I want to thank you. Uh, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, as I mentioned, the one that I would point you to from July is the one titled It's Okay to Love America. That seems to be the one that people really like. Uh, so I definitely refer you to that one. And also some of the other ones that deal uh, in large part with the COVID-19 restrictions to be popular. So, and I try and also not make them too dated because uh, all that COVID-19 uh, restrictions do apply to the greater ideas of, um, of personal freedom, personal responsibility, all of the things that make America great that we can uh, learn today the value of things like liberty and freedom and personal responsibility and bring those things forward so that one day when we get through this uh, you know, slight nightmare of 2020 and the COVID-19 crisis, we'll have a better appreciation of our individual liberties. And I think we'll, hopefully, we'll, we'll have a better understanding of what our founding fathers were trying to achieve when they came up with this novel idea, this American experiment. So thanks again for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend or two friends. I think word of mouth is the best way of getting the word out still of this podcast and, and let people suggest that, you know, if they're listening to other people on the conservative side, then, you know, Maybe they'll be willing to listen to uh, one more voice for an hour a week. So thanks again. Uh, look us up on Facebook, on Parlor if you're on Parlor, and of course look up LibertyRelearn.com online. A lot of things I talk about today, uh, such as this article I read to you, uh, thoughts on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This was printed a couple years ago on the website, libertyrelearn.com. And I think that's a really, if you really want to go deeper into the ideas um, that I espouse on this podcast, I suggest that you go to libertyrelearn.com. And for more current information, go to Parlor or to Facebook. But either way, I appreciate you coming and... I hope to see you next week. Bye.